Welcome to Artist Praxis Podcast, where artists make meaning of their art making. Every week, we hear one artist's creative process, learning all about their most recent finished project. We discuss everything artists work with, from materials to thoughts, from dreams to gestures, from feelings to tools. At Artist Praxis Podcast, we stand for inclusivity and curiosity, connectivity and human warmth. Hello, we are Deborah and Sara. We are so happy to share with you another episode of the Artist Praxis Podcast. Thank you for tuning in. In this interview, we talked with artist Lino Ruth about his recent work that is on view on our website, artistpraxis.com, and on Instagram at artistpraxis. We felt deeply inspired by Lino's art making in community. You can find out more about his work at his website, wolflino.art, and on Instagram at wolflino. We have all the links listed on our show notes. Here at Artist Praxis, we talk in detail about the making of one work of art. Our interviews begin with the artist describing their work, and we end our conversation on the words play, rest, and nurture. We hope you enjoy this episode. Yeah, so uh, my latest work is titled uh, Salasana, and actually it's, uh, uh, the name is from the particular kind of structure or building that is a common practice in Cambodian culture. Usually it is built uh, by the villagers on the roadside for passengers, travelers, people who, can, who travel past through the, the, the town or the city or the provinces to stop, rest, you know, uh, before their long journey. Uh, also, uh, that particular kind of building is used by the villagers for a special ceremony, you know, to honor a, a sort of like a special elderly person or some significant ritual ceremony for, for the, the community. So um, I was very struck by this uh, philosophy and idea that, you know, it's people coming together, it's this collective initiative to build a space or to build a place in this case, you know, a place to offer to uh, the public, to the community, to even strangers. And I think that act of generosity and hospitality is, uh, is so valuable and, and something we, we need to consider and reconsider how our modern society is, is, is at today and how this idea should, you know, continue or this practice should continue um, in now our so-called modernized society, which is replaced by cafes and um, other shops and things, right? There is no sort of, not so much a free space uh, anymore. So uh, I created this installation work, sort of like a skeletal architectural installation based on a model of uh, Salah Samnak house. And it's made of neon light. And the installation itself, it is floating in space, like it's sort of a drawing in space, uh, if uh, I can say such a thing. So uh, the way it's perceived is like you see this sort of like almost 3D, it's kind of a 3D drawing in space by these neon light tubes. And I'm interested in that sort of quality of this sort of like a skeletal and the absence of the human body in that space uh, and the fragility of that material because um, 
also like interested in the the precarious condition of such building in today's uh, Cambodia, uh, because uh, quite uh, many of these uh, salasamnat are left to decay, abandoned. You know, people no longer use it. As I mentioned before, now they prefer to go to cafe, <laughs> right, um, and so on instead. So, um, so yeah. So I, I wanted to to uh, reclaim that sort of history, uh, reclaim that philosophy, and and raise that into the consciousness of uh, the today's audience. Mm -hmm. Right. So, Lino, it seems to me that uh, you started then from this idea, right, or from seeing this kind of space. Uh, is that right? Or, or maybe you started from a memory of using uh, this kind of space when you were a child. Uh, where did you start the idea to begin this work? Yeah. So uh, my practice uh, is informed very much uh, from cultural histories. Um, and in particular, uh, uh, and also uh, small histories. And uh, in this case, I encountered in person, you know, by seeing this kind of building uh, or this kind of salasamna. Uh, when I travel to provinces with my parents, when we go to Buddhist temples um, in the provinces, and then it struck me, and, and then I started to research more about this uh, particular kind of building. And of course, uh, because my interest as well in architectural history and so on. Yeah, I, I you know, as the more that I um, investigated and study about this kind of structure in this kind of space, uh, I began even more interest. And actually, I had this dream of, oh my God, I'm going to create this artwork. I, I'm going to, because I thought like, you know, this Salasamna is such a very special it has this special spirit, right? It's offer, it's this like collective offering, you know, it's the hospitality and generosity and people who never knew each other, those kind of strangers, this, there is in my head, right? These stranger people, they sort of like stop by and meet and have this like encounter, right? Form these sort of like fragile connections or even on the other hand, the, the, the people in the community celebrate something. So actually it's part of, you know, basically social relations, you know, it's, it's what creates social relations. So, um, so for me, I thought, okay, I'm, I'm going to have this grand idea. I'm going to do this project where I travel across the country and stop at different uh, uh, Salasamna. And alongside, I made a, a, a call to, to artists or whoever create, creative practitioners to come along with me uh, to, to go to visit those uh, places. And at each stop, at each Salasamnak, uh, we would like encounter and converse with people from that particular community, uh, you know, uh, uh, different kind of people, not only what we so-called the intellectuals or the artists, but, you know, uh, the idea is to uh, engage with the local knowledge. So, you know, maybe we meet with a, a, a specialist uh, agriculture uh, kind of like a person or we met with, you know, a monk or we, I don't know, right? So this idea is to, uh, uh, have an exchange and a conversation under that salasana. It's the place where knowledge is produced, you know. Um, so, uh, an exchange of knowledge. So, yeah, that's what I thought about that. But of course, it's, you know, I, I never get to realize it because like, oh my, my God, it's like, you know, time and resources and everything, right? Um, so, it's a very ambitious vision. So, 
But anyway, that was still sit in my head for quite several years until lately that I produced one work, which was a, a collective of spirit houses that I collected from the white building, uh, a former uh, um, social housing block from the 60s. And uh, lately, before it was demolished, uh, it housed thousands of generations of artists as well as everyday people you know, who, who live in uh, the city. And so I collected these uh, uh, spirit houses from, from the families there as uh, an acknowledgement of the knowledge that is accumulated over time from that neighborhood, but also as a collective spirit of that neighborhood, even after the building's gone, after the community is dispersed through that work. For me, it's a creative symbolic that the spirit of the community still be there together and it endures. So anyhow, through that work, um, it has lighting as well inside each of those spirit houses. And so when I saw that and I realized, oh, what if I create a structure that is made of just light, but nothing else? And then this idea of Salasamna was like merge, you know, this something that I wanted and interested came like, ah, oh, okay, that's it. It's all that the connection, the material. So I explore light uh, as the medium for uh, this work of Salasamna. And uh, it's very fitting because the uh, ancient name of this kind of building, Salasamna, is called Aknitru in Sanskrit, and uh, or it means the house of fire. So um, it most likely it it may uh, suggest that there might be a ritual ceremony of offering fire to the divine inside those kind of structure. So. Um, then it's also fitting that I was like, okay, this is perfect. So I, I want to reimagine what is fire in the contemporary installation work. And therefore this form of light as the medium and as the structure itself. Wow, Plino, <laughs> there was so much in here. Uh, I'm, I'm so glad like there is this connection, right? Uh, in this creative process between uh, your larger interest uh, in this, public and the exchange of knowledge and this uh, desire really to be in connection with people and connection with uh, all sorts of knowledge, not only the artistic or academic, but also uh, the knowledge that is coming from uh, the provinces and uh, from all sorts of different uh, experiences in life. And then there is this necessity of uh, reducing somehow what it is possible for you to do in the work, right? So the work comes to being and the works, at least uh, let's say if you don't ever give up the project of actually meeting people around uh, Cambodia in these <laughs> rooms, uh, if you continue with this dream, but at least the work already started right, with this uh, lighthouse that you created. Uh, and I'm very interested about this choice of, uh, in a way, it is focusing on one aspect of it, that is the light, the fire. And I'm very interested in how you did it in the installation by keeping the house suspended in the air and also the color that you chose and the space that it occupies in the gallery. So I wanted you to talk a little bit more about this. So first of all, um, the choice of color. So I chose blue, uh, partly <laughs> because I love blue. <laughs> 
um, but also, um, you know, I think because the word fire, right? So to me, it's like fire. And so immediately, you know, the color of the natural fire comes to mind, right? The red, the orange, and this sort of thing. But then I was thinking like, oh, maybe it's just too literal, right? right? So how can I create a different sort of like sensorial image, uh, but still invoking that quality of fire? Um, so basically, blue, I try, it's, and then I saw, and then it has this, some special of cooling effect, right? Because blue is like a cool, cool color. So this cooling effect, and it's quite mesmerizing to be present in that a space with that light illuminating. And because the fact of this neon light, when you look directly at the light, it doesn't hurt your eyes, no? So uh, that is something that um, also very, yeah, particular of that choice. And in space, it was actually really interesting because that gallery that I showed the work, the space was quite challenging because um, in my mind, it would be like, you know, in the middle of the space and this structure. Uh, but then there is this sort of like panel, sort of like dividing the space almost into half of this panel um, that is part of the structure of the space itself. So that means I could fit in only like <laughs> one side of the space. And then I saw something like, oh, at the corner front of the space, there are two huge glass windows. So I thought, oh, that is perfect because you know, during this COVID, there was also like a hiccup of like, oh, postponing the exhibition, oh, cannot, and, and these sort of like things. And I realized like, okay, what if I cannot show the work to the public anyhow? Or like if the gallery cannot open or welcome the audience. So I need to find a way to be able to make the work visible within the limitation of the space. And at that time, I could not secure any public space. So within the gallery premise. So I thought, perfect, okay. If it is at the corner of that gallery front, that means 50% of the work can be seen from the outside. And then the also the other 50% can be experienced from the inside. So that means that um, the works require sort of like a circumvent between you walking outside of the gallery and inside of the gallery to be able to see the whole view. However, with the glass window at that corner, two glass window at the corner, it provides reflections. So it adds another dimension to the work that offered these like multiple images and reflections. And everything turned out so well in the end that I was very happy how it works out with the, with the space, the condition of the space. And also I decided to make the, the installation floated, not, not like sitting on the ground. Because uh, when, when I was imagining like was it sitting on the ground, because the scale is less than one one scale, right? So when I put it on the ground, it looks like a, it feels like a kid's house. You know what I mean? It's like a, you know, a dollhouse or something. It's like, that's not the sort of like the feeling or impression that I wanted to create. So um, then when I lift it up uh, off the ground, then it offers something else, you know, because it's all of a sudden it has this like otherworldly quality and also not earthly, no? not grounded, uh, not in our world. It seems to exist in a different dimension. And I think that is something quite, yeah, I think quite um, interesting for me. It has this sort of like magical quality uh, when you perceive it in space, you know, it's almost like half real or something. And um, 
it's not the first time that I use uh, suspension <laughs> as, as a, a technique of the installation. I have used this before for different kinds of reasons. So, um, but yeah, anyway, it's it recurring again. Can you talk a little bit more about this notion of the skeleton and the drawing? I was very curious about it. And uh, especially because uh, when you were talking about these spaces, I was thinking how important it is that um, that we are in, inhabiting it, right? And these are spaces that we can enter. Uh, and in your installation, uh, you choose to do something that you cannot enter, that we have to look from outside, right? And I think that that's related with this uh, choice of how you're doing it as a drawing. Um, and I just wanted to hear more about this connection for you. So actually, at first, my in my head was like, I wanted to create it one on one scale. Um, the size of the house, and then you can walk in. You know, that was in my head, you know, sort of like very immersive bodily experience. But then with the condition of the space, I had to rescale it to make it, you know, fit <laughs> within the space and therefore the suspension and everything to, to create a, you know, sort of like, a, yeah, a, a particular kind of experience instead. And uh, in this case, it's inaccessible. You cannot walk into the house. You can view, you know, you can... A, a, a circumvent around the installation and that kind of like interesting because I was thinking that this uh, question of accessibility and inaccessibility you know I want to raise this question now uh, on this kind of public space that we have today these days um, and these uh, uh, now the, the space for public is considered as not safe Right? It's like you, you cannot gather, you cannot be intimate, uh, and many of those public spaces become regulated and even inaccessible. So somehow, yeah, I was thinking about that kind of yeah issues too uh, in parallel. And I, I was thinking about this uh, structure as a skeleton, as a sort of like bones, right? Like bone, they are fragile, they are almost like... Um, residue they are like uh, left over um, and so again I was thinking about this uh, this nature of the precarity of this uh, kind of building now that um, uh, in Cambodia you know uh, having said so um, I'm not saying that this uh, cultural practice is disappearing I'm saying there's this like uneven you know sort of like they are some as like you know losing decaying its currency in urbanized context, but still, you know, in in villages, this practice still continue. What I'm trying to, I hope, is like how can we, you know, uh, reclaim that history, learn from that history, and how, you know, we uh, exercise that and implement that in our urban context and urbanized context as well. Um, I'm while I'm I'm uh, listening uh, you talking, you know, I'm I'm thinking a lot about this notion of what we are losing and if we are actually losing it or not, right? And, and, and now that you're saying this, that we need to be very careful not to assume that things are disappearing <laughs> when they are actually not, uh, maybe they're actually just not visible to us. And there is a, a question of uh, visibility and what is visible or not in this installation. I'm, um, I'm very struck, uh, like thinking a lot about when you, I think you mentioned already a couple of times the limitations uh, that you encountered while you're 
putting the, the work uh, in existence, right? Like this uh, difference between your dreams and like what you first envisioned and then what you could actually do when you saw the gallery space and when you saw... All the time. <laughs> <laughs> right? Yeah. So I, I'm very curious to uh, hear more about how you negotiate this process, you know, and how, what are, how do you find the limits, you know, of... Where do you think that the work is still speaking to your interest and is still uh, fulfilling the ideals that you had at the beginning, right? So you don't end up with a work that you're like, oh my God, you know, this, this has nothing to do with what I started with. Yeah, so I think that is so important because, you know, when I first visited the, the, the space, I was like, oh, <laughs> you know, that was this like, oh, um, how can I realize my uh, artistic ambition, right? If the, the practical uh, condition uh, uh, or the limitation is there, you know, I can only work with that condition, right? So I was like, oh my God, what to do, what to do. So it was like, okay, let's try it, you know, let, let's see and try to, to see what, what actually, how this condition can be productive instead. I think uh, try to be positive in turning that condition to productively support, you know, uh, what you wanted to achieve. And also in this case, I have to believe to listen to the work itself, you know, not to listen to what I want to do, but also to have a conversation with the artwork. When, uh, so what happened, I, I did a test. I think uh, now with uh, installation work, I, I have this testing installation process or uh, this stage before the real installation in the space. And I find that so helpful uh, because you find out, you know, what you don't like, what you like, and whether this work, it is, doesn't work, right? And each time it's always something new. And because the fact that I work with new medium uh, quite often, because uh, uh, actually Neon Light is my first time uh, here for this project, you know? So, okay. Uh, and I'm so grateful that I have a, a colleague, Ero, who helps me uh, in in terms of like overseeing the technical aspect and the installation and the production aspect of the work. So we work closely on this. Yeah, so I think there is this process of, okay, let's test out, you know, uh, see with this condition and, and see what are the elements in the space that we can turn it to the advantage, you know, of the work. In this case, okay, I cannot make it into full scale. Okay, I downscale, you know, when I downscale, no, it doesn't look like it, looks like a dollhouse it's not something that i want to have this sort of magic quality so what else can bring this so i need to find other ways and also um yes so to have this sort of like uh, again uh, maybe to to embrace the unknown aspect of how you venture into this um but to have to have belief in sort of like oh you know, uh, these like uh, uh, magical quality that you want, but sort of like a different kind of condition can shift and change over time um, throughout that process. And then I thought, oh, so, so they see these glasses, uh, so this window and so on. So try to maximize everything to the advantage um, rather than thinking about what it lacks. What do you see your work go from here? So what is your next step in your process or practice? So um, I am now working, uh, planning on a group show. So I want, I am planning on a new work of Salasamna. Uh, so it's a new installation. 
but also um, I want to think about that a space that you can enter, that it can host a body, you know. And so I need to think very differently about what it looks like and how it is installed. And in this case, I'm thinking more of uh, something more abstract than sort of like fully, you know, figurative uh, uh, work, but maybe only like partial, you know, abstract, uh, but it's, it's indicative enough of an architectural sort of like uh, space, you know. So uh, something that I'm working on. And on the other hand, um, I've been contemplating this project for also so many several years. <laughs> I tend to have this like project that sits in for several years and it's, it brews and, and then I don't know, just maybe certain, you know, timing came right and sort of everything, you know, came together, then here comes a project. So another one is still in the brewing process that uh, I want to create an installation and work as well based on this particular real site um, in Phnom Penh, which was, um, which to me, it has a very strong meaning and also different kind of meaning over a period of time through the history of the city, through different political regimes. So the space is used for different political agenda as well as you know, um, reflect in what way the public can use. So that's, that's something I still, you know, in the process as well. I don't know how uh, to make and what, uh, but it, it's still this sort of, yeah. And I think from the Salasamna, it helps me to slowly think about that uh, project as well. Do you think, Lino, that uh, the time that you take to think and create your projects is related also to the kind of practice that you do related with architecture and spaces and public spaces do you do you see that because um, I, I was thinking now like there is a for a painter or for a I don't know someone working directly like that like painting for example like you have to go and do and paint and, uh, right, 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 right 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 well like maybe working with spaces you, you need time to go and pass through and there is also this aspect so so that that's true too so there's this aspect like uh, i need to experience the space and also like again me i'm also like interested in the history so like researching in the documentations uh, um, archival images and so um, but uh having said this is um my because the fact that uh i uh alongside of making art i also curate and i co-run um, and an art space uh, with my collective. So sort of like these uh, different hats that I wear. And um, so it's like, uh, I, I cannot like be in what we so-called in the studio, right? Every day, I don't have a studio, <laughs> I all in my house. <laughs> I don't have studio. Um, sometimes I work at the social art projects. Uh, sometimes I work at my home. Sometimes I, I use friend's house. So, so for example, for Salasamnak's project, I, uh, uh, I used a, a friend's office, thanks to their uh, generosity, uh, to do the test installation. Or the previous work, I used social art project space as a test installation using my friend's house as a, a temporary storage. And sort of, it's it's sort of like it takes the whole community <laughs> to, to 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 make a project. And I realized that my practice is not a solo endeavor, and I realized that my practice involves in in engaging along the way with my peers, my colleagues, uh, my friends, 
Um, so for example, it, uh, for this Alasamnat project, um, I work with uh, uh, three other uh, people who are also artists, you know, in, in, in realizing this together. Uh, Edo in support of uh, installation and production, Sidine uh, support in the, the technical 3D rendering and uh, sock uh, in uh, and making into paintings. And uh, it's, it's sort of like for me testing as well, I, I have to say, uh, like slowly testing in what way we can do. You know, in this case, I realized that I don't have 3D drawing skills. <laughs> uh, so like, should I take a course to, to, to do this or should I work with people who already have existing skills that should be highlighted and, and should be uh, nurtured? And, and exercised. So in this case, I thought, oh, why not we, you know, take the whole community? <laughs> yeah. So that's uh, becoming uh, more and more recurring, recurring in my practice. That's wonderful. Uh, so, Lino, we like to end on three words that I'd like you to just tell us what they mean to you, how they relate to your practice or your, in your life. The words are nurture, play, and care. Mm, very interesting. Nurture, play, and care. Right. Hmm. I find these three words, um, well, to me, they cannot be sort of like taken apart uh, or like, you know, uh, uh, isolate them uh, separately and find each, each meaning separately. I find it tend to overlap, you know, between caring, between playing, between nurturing, I think this this is a very obvious reason overlaps a lot in my uh, personal life as well as artistic uh, practice. They all just like intermingle, <laughs> interwoven. You know, uh, my friends are artists, and they also support in uh, a, a project, uh, and I support theirs. We work together as well as we have fun together. Not sure whether this is good or not, but I have to say it, it is interesting and it's really enriching. And I'm very grateful for, you know, to be able to be part of community that we nurture each other, we care for each other and we enjoy each other's company. That's wonderful. Thank you so much, Lino. Thank you. Thank you so much, Deborah and Sarah. Thank you for joining us. The Artist Praxis Podcast is created by Deborah Fatshon Grodsky and Saha Ahiagada. Original music, mixing and editing by André Javi. If you enjoyed the show, subscribe and leave us a review. That will help us reach a broader audience. If you are an artist and would like to be interviewed, or if you would like more information about the podcast, please visit artistpraxis.com. <laughs>